to see each of you here today. Uh, don't forget tonight we'll meet down at Pellegrino Park with the other churches and uh, be a tornado relief rally service tonight. So, what did I say? Pellegrino? Magnolia. I'm sorry. I meant to say that. <laughs> Just, yeah, find, find a group of people and go join them. Yeah. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. It's good to see everyone here. I'm telling you, we've got a good looking group of people. We're thankful for our visitors being here today. It's good to have Vince in the service with us today. They, he's got a big doctor's appointment on Tuesday, so we want to be praying for Vince and Penny that get a good report on that. There's others we need to be praying for, too. If you're not on our prayer chain, we have a prayer text. You have a prayer text, and you get all the things that you need to be praying about on that text. We thank the Lord for Miss Sharon uh, Huff that uh, operates that prayer text for us. And if, if you're not on that, I encourage you to get there. And she doesn't bombard you with a lot of text after text after text after text, but you get the pertinent information as you need it. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4. Now, I I think you will, I hope you remember that we started in chapter 1 and went through chapter 2 and then chapter 3. And this will be our last message in the book of Colossians. And we're looking at chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Verse 2 to 6. Now, my goal here is not to impress you, but to instruct you. And if you get instructed, the more instruction you have, the less inspiration you'll need to live a successful Christian life. We uh, did the study last fall, and we will probably follow up on it again this fall, on the book, Fan, fan. Remember that? I not a fan. Remember the title of the book, not a fan. It really the the concept there really uh, gave a lot of insight if you really paid attention to the to the title, not a fan. And the title here's what it was really saying: I'm not a fan of Jesus. Boy, that don't sound right, does it? Not a fan of Jesus. But the concept taught in the book is from Scripture, and what it is saying is that I'm much more than a fan. A fan is someone who goes to the the crowd, the audience, and they cheer for the team, cheer for the team. You say, well, that's pretty good, preacher. Well, that's not enough. We not We don't need to be a fan. We need to be a follower. So we need to get out of the fa- out of the stands and down on the field. See the concept? Does, have I made that clear? And so what I want you to know is my goal here is not to impress you with how great I am. Matter of fact, years ago, I was much more movable, mobile, and uh, all of that, and I got under conviction that I did not want to be 
the center of what God is doing. I wanted Christ to be the center. Got on conviction about that. There's enough preacher worship in the world today. There's enough worship service worship going on in the world today. There's a big difference between worshiping Him and worshiping us. A lot of people don't understand the idolatry of that. So Lord, let me get out of the way. Lord, let me get behind the cross and let Jesus be elevated. So Colossians chapter 4. He says, Continuing in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. As I said, this this is chapter 4. This is part of the closing remarks, the last words that the apostle wants to share with the Colossian Christians. In this letter, we look at it, and, and it's inspired by God, so it speaks to us, and it gives us some instruction. Now, there's three things in this that I want us to see that are important in our life. As we live the Christian life, there's three things that I want to pull out of the text. And I want to call them weapons. Weapons. Now, you think of weapons and uh, you think of fighting with guns and fighting with swords or fighting with fists. No, it's not talking about that type of weapon for that type of warfare. But these are spiritual weapons. Now, tools is not strong enough. I could use the word three tools, but that's not strong enough. Because you and I, as Christians, are in a spiritual warfare in life. We need spiritual tools. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, I'll read you this. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not physical. The weapons of our warfare, he says, are not physical, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So these three weapons that I'm going to share with you can have a powerful effect in life on the goal that we have as a Christian to accomplish. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13, just thinking about, again, about the, the warfare that we're in. He says in verse 10, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's a war. We wrestle. It's a battle. It's a, it's a struggle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. So it's warrior terms. It's weaponry. 
it's, it's thinking about fighting a war. We, we could go to 1 Timothy. I won't take you there, but 1 Timothy 6, Paul said, I, I, I have fought a good fight. And he encourages us in that verse to fight a good fight. And then his testimony is the next chapter in, in 2 Timothy where it says, I have fought a good fight. I got those backwards. He says to us, fight a good fight. And then he said, in the end of his life, his last testimony, I have fought a good fight. So we're not talking about you going out here on the streets and fighting people. We're not talking about uh, being a mob. We're not talking about you going to war. We're talking about there is a spiritual warfare to win people to Christ. The battleground is our world, our surrounding community and we're to fight a good fight of faith and we're to use these weapons tools that we might win people to Jesus now some of us need to enter the battle some of us don't even realize there is a spiritual warfare going on and you know Paul speaks of people being captive in this warfare and you and I as Christians our job is to reach people and to win them to Jesus so that they won't spend eternity separated from God, that they might spend eternity with God because of salvation through Jesus Christ. A lot of people, I feel like a lot of people are like, a lot of, uh, my, my daughter has, has a dog collar on her dog. She's in Cape Girona. they got a big yard. And that dog, he gets to a certain point, he, he knows not to go there, right, because there's that, that collar on. I feel like a lot of us, have a dog collar on and we only go so far and we need to be let loose so how do you get loose three weapons that I want to bring out of the text and you say how is that well the first let me just share them with you I think you'll pick up the first one is our walk in the word of God in verse 5 he says walking in wisdom through them uh, towards them that are without redeeming the time walking in was our walk in the word of god where we get wisdom this this is so important in your life and in the spiritual war that you're in you've got to walk in the word you got to live a christian life surrounding the word of god there needs to be a time that you're in the word of god every day every day there needs to be times that you sit down and read portions of Scripture. The Christian life is not meant to be lived away from a relationship with God through the Word of God. Now, our, our relationship is not with the Word of God. It's the mirror. It's the, 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 the conduit that we see God and we know God through His Word. See, the Bible is a living book. It's a powerful book. It'll, it'll change your life. And, and for, for all the years that I've been here, I've challenged people to get into the Word of God. And every time a, a Christian starts reading the Bible, they'll come back and they'll share with me information they've learned they've never seen before in the Bible. And they will always tell me that the Bible made a difference in their life. The Word of God is quick and powerful and it's, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, the soul and spirit and the joint and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. 
It discerns our heart. It reveals to us our heart. It instructs us in our heart. You, If you have a relationship with Christ, if you want it to grow, if you want it to be what it should be, if you want to be equipped, if you want to be strengthened, if you want to be ready for warfare in this spiritual warfare, you must have a relationship with God through the Word of God. Over in James chapter 1, the Bible is called a mirror. Well, we all, I love the way the Bible uses these clear things to illustrate. A mirror. We all know what a mirror is for. We look into the mirror and we see what's messed up. Some of us don't like to look in the mirror. We don't like to walk by a mirror. Why? Because it reveals what really is there, not what we think. But the mirror is for us to look into and for it to reveal flaws and to reveal things that need to be repaired. Fix your hair. Fix your face. And you know, if we would spend as much time in the mirror of of God's Word as we do in the mirrors in our house, it'd probably take care of our problems. James chapter 1 says this. He says in verse 21, Let us lay apart... All filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness and receive with meekness God's engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But not only be a hearer but be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Then he gives that example. And if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man beholding his face in a glass. A mirror. For he beholdeth himself, he sees himself, and he goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Verse 25, but whoso looketh, that word looketh means stares. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, and continueth to look therein, and being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Man, that thing is just right there, isn't it? It just steps out of the page and tells you you need a relationship with God through the Word of God and that relationship with God through the Word of God will reveal the things in your life that, that needs to change and it will straighten your life up and it will guide your life, it will adjust your life and you'll be blessed. So really, the Word of God is not what we worship. We worship the God of the Bible, but we look into the Bible and it reveals God to us and it also reveals ourselves to us. Reading your Bible, it it enables us to live a a successful Christian life. I, I did this verse, I think, last week or sometime recently, but Psalms 119, 165, and I don't think anybody got it that, that needed it, that, that's not already gotten it. Uh, and I, I, I quote these verses to you in preaching so that you can get something and, and, and it'll be a blessing to you. But Psalms 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they that love thy law. That's another way of saying the Bible. Great peace have they that love thy law. What's the last part? Some of you already know it. And nothing shall offend them. Put that thing up there. I want, I want to see it. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean for you to do that. Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. That's all right. Listen. Are you often offended? 
Are you often knocked down? Are you often tripped up? Do you, do you struggle just to live without getting discouraged or while getting your feelings hurt? Getting all emotional? Great peace have they that love thy law. How many things will offend them? Nothing. See, the Bible is armor. It's armor for the Christian life. It's part of the warfare that's defensive. It's also offensive, but it's primarily defensive. This is a weapon of our warfare. That you need the Bible in your life. Great peace have they that love thy law. You know what your problem is? It's not the other people. It's not the people that's doing the offense. It's not. The, hey, this Christian life that we live, it's a, it's a race that we run. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We run this Christian life. And, you know, when God put us here and, and saved us and put us in this life, he, he's not interested in, in what you achieve on the way. He's interested in that you get to the end of the journey and win the race. It's okay to win along the way. But it's more important to finish the race. And the Christian life, the Christian life is a, just a whole lot of ups and downs and ins and outs and owns and off and a lot of opportunities to get mad, a lot of opportunities to get offended, a lot, a lot of opportunities to quit. Now you think about your wife. You've been married to your wife a long time. You didn't let everything that come your way take you to immediately say, well, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm just going to walk off. Your Christian life is like that. You can't just let everything that comes your way cause you, well, I'm thinking about quitting again. Well, so-and-so mistreated me and done me wrong. I'm just going to quit. You know, all that would tell us is that you're, if you have faith at all, it's not very deep. Now, let me ask you something. Have you known people that used to be in church that are no longer in church because there was a problem with church. Raise your hand. About every hand here. I would suggest to you that in this church probably no one has been offended more than I have. Now that's a... I'm posing that supposition to you. I don't know that to be an absolute fact. But I'm posing it to you. You don't even know how many times I've been offended. But I haven't quit. Why? God's Word. God's Word. I was saved when I was 10 years old. My mother gave me the best advice you could ever get as a Christian. Matter of fact, R.G. Lee gave a preacher friend the same advice later in years when he went to visit him. He said, if you really want to succeed in Christian life, you need to pray. You need to read God's Word. You need to witness. You need to pray. You need to read God's Word. And you need to witness. My mother told me that. So for a few months there, I read God's Word and I witnessed. I remember my first witness was to Terry Redden and it was in the restroom. I caught him when no one was around and I, asked, I said, Terry, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? He said, I, I, I don't know. He was as stunned as he could be. But I had to do it. But I got away from it. And when I got right with God when I was 17, I got into God's Word. God's Word has made a tremendous difference in my life. You know what it made me? A non-optional. I'm not quitting. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to quit. 
If I resign here, don't you think I uh, resign here because I quit? I may have went on to other things, but I didn't quit. I take that a promise from God because of His Word. And I'm telling you, I've had many obstacles. Many, many, many undermining of my self-esteem, undermining of my whole life and ministry. Had it all. Not all. There's more. But what do you do to overcome this? You've got to be in the Word of God. Secondly, great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Our prayer life. Now this is more offensive. It can be defensive, but it's also more offensive. Both of them really do both. But he says this in verse 2. He says, continuing in prayer. Watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now, prayer is a part of watching. Uh, getting your spiritual eyes open and looking up to heaven, looking up to the Lord Jesus. Prayer is watching and waiting. Remember when Jesus went to the garden to pray, he said to three of the disciples, would you come and watch with me? Would you come and pray with me was what they were instructed to do. Watch. And I want to say this, as a Christian, you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to have a consistent prayer life where you're praying persistently and consistently. That's what he means by continue in prayer. It's actually, if you look the the word up, it's a military term, and it, it comes down to this, attack. Attack. Prayer life is an attack on the victims of the spiritual warfare that you and I are encouraged to battle with. Prayer is a part of the spiritual warfare. Now, we know something about traditional warfare. Before the infantry go into battle, before the infantry goes into battle, the artillery blows everything apart. I remember my good friend, he's a preacher now, a little older than I, he was a sergeant in Vietnam. And he, he'd tell me stories about being in, con, uh, in combat. He said that he was a sergeant, always getting these young lieutenants, and, and they'd want to go. He told me one example about attacking this hill in Vietnam. And he said, no, 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 lieutenant, we don't do it that way here. He says, we call for the artillery, and they blow that place up where there's nothing up there, and then we walk to the top of that. We don't fight. To, and so you and I might think in, in military uh, thoughts that we would just infantry attack. No, that's not the way it works. They used the artillery first. You've watched the old uh, movies, the night movies and such as that, those old, and they have the catapults and all this where they just bombard a place. Our prayer life does that. That's our prayer life. We're shooting off a missile it can be launched from our knees and strike a target way off preparing for the invasion we fire off the missiles of prayer prayer is a heavy artillery in the spiritual warfare of the Christian life since we settled into our home back in 2017 I I have a room there that we, we call it an office. And I go there in my morning prayer. I want you to know sometimes there's a, a great conflict 
to keep me out of that room. There's a struggle to not go into that room. Now, if you were the devil and you were in a spiritual warfare, wouldn't you try to keep the enemy from getting into their important prayer closet to shoot off missiles? I see that that way. I see it that way. We need prayer. We need to be faithfully praying. We need to be watching. In the book of Nehemiah, they were building the walls of Jerusalem. And they were under attack from the enemies. You know the story if you've read that book before. It's a, it's a tremendous story. But it says in chapter 4, verse 8, And they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against us in Jerusalem. And they were very angry. He said, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and we set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah said, They were attacking us. They were attacking us. What did we do? We, we, went, we continued our prayers and we set a watch. We continued our prayer. Listen, the devil wants you to quit praying. Oh, it's not doing any good. Preacher, where you I've heard that. It's not effective. It is. It's the most effective thing we can do in the spiritual warfare that we're in. The Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle before that, Prayer in the temple was constant. You know, they prayed in the temple and the tabernacle. If you, if you, you don't see this on the surface, but if you, if you continue to read and study about the temple and the tabernacle, they were praying 24 hours a day in that place. They had a watch at night. And, and they would build a fire. There was a fireplace and they built a fire and they would watch and they would pray. And they had shifts where they went in. And many of the priests never got to do the sacrificial stuff where the, the blood and all that. But they got to go in and pray and they'd go in and they would pray. And Jesus comes on the scene and I've seen where he did it. He came on the scene and they were trading trinkets and they were selling merchandise and he was angry and he said, you've made my house a house of merchandise. My house should be called a what? House of prayer. I got a conviction when I was thinking through this this week that we don't, we don't pray enough. We don't pray enough here. God help us. The Bible teaches us in Acts 18 to be fervent in prayer. Fervent means to have energy. To be energetic about it. Don't be dead. Verse 2, he says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, praying with purpose. Paul said, pray for us. He said it in the text there that I read. Paul said, pray for us. Pray for us. What? Jesus, you prayed. You needed prayer. Paul needed prayer. Do we need prayer? Does your pastor need prayer? I'm not, even, I'm not even close to where they are. How much more do I need prayer? Do you pray for me? You know what the Apostle Paul said? He said it would be a sin if I did not pray for you. 
Are we guilty of the sin of not praying for one another? We gave out the prayer journals again this year. We re-woke re that ministry up. We gave the prayer journal out. And we're on a four-week four rotation. And, and I'm praying for everybody in that prayer journal. One day, I've got about four or five names or family names on there. And your children. And I pray. I'm getting you prayed for once a month at least. See, I can actually... I can actually tell who's, who's, because I prayed enough already, I can tell you if I viewed a crowd here, there's a couple right there I don't have on my list. Now listen, I'm not a good Christian. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a sorry Christian. But I'm not going to quit praying. When are you going to start? Some of you need to go to Danielle, if you can find her. Is she here today? She's here, yeah. He'd find her and say, give me one of them prayer journals. I've got names added to mine, by the way. I need to probably give you an update. People need to be in that prayer journal. I was here, whoever you are, if you're in this building, your name's there, I'm praying. And we do it Monday through Friday, and I've got Saturday. If I, you know, if, if I miss a day of praying for you where maybe I wasn't home, I took it to Israel with me. I'm going to catch it up. It would be a sin that I would not pray for you. What about me? Are you praying for one another? Prayer is a missile that we launch from our knees. And notice he gives the thing purpose here in verse 3. He says, uh, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bond. Paul said, I'm in prison for doing this. I'm in prison for doing what I'm asking you to pray for me to be able to do. He said, I'll take the prison, right? He says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Hey, do you realize that talking to people about Jesus, knocking on doors and witnessing people is not going to have any effect at all if we don't launch the prayer missiles first? A church that does not pray does not stay. We're only as strong as our prayer life. Prayer. The Word of God, prayer, hand in hand. And then he is saying here in verse 3, pray for us to have opportunities to share the good news of Christ. Pray that God would open the hearts of people to hear us. Pray that we would be able to win people to Christ. Sadly, we can pray aimlessly. Boy, I tell you what, I, I think we ought to pray for the sick. We, we got a lot of sick folks. We do right now. Have we not been praying, maybe? Have we been slacking? It's part of our defense. It's part of our offense. Have you been sinning by not praying? Is that your sin? I said, preacher, I haven't been drinking. I haven't been drinking. I ain't been cussing maybe every now and then, but not much. Preacher, I quit smoking. 
Preacher, I am not looking at pornography on that telephone. But I'm not praying. Which is the worst sin? Which is the worst sin? Now, if you're a legalist, you're going to tell me the pornography and the drinking. If you're a legalist, but if you're really on target with Jesus, is the lack of prayer not the worst? Could that be why the other things have taken their place up in your life? Could be your lack of prayer has caused you to be involved in the other things? There ain't a lot to think about. Don't make me think. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm trying to get you to think about a whole lot of stuff. I'm, I'm just trying to get you to think about your prayer life. Your prayer life. And, and boy, you don't like what's going on in church. You don't like the direction it's going. You don't like the choices that the preachers made. You don't like the decisions that's been made by this. You don't like it. Well, you've been praying about it. Have you been praying? I didn't say have you been fussing. I said have you been praying? You see the point? Our prayer life. If we're not effective, it bears down to our lack of prayer. Paul said. Pray for us that a door of utterance would be open. Then the third thing, and we're just basically going to skip it because I think the Holy Spirit has geared us to the prayer life. Our witness, our testimony. Verse 6, he says, uh, let, us, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may be able to that you may know how you ought to answer everyone, every man. Our witness, our testimony, our testimony, watching how you walk and watching how you talk. We're ambassadors for Christ. Let me ask you a question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would there be some witnesses come there and say, no, I, I, let me testify, I, I can get him off the hook. I know he's not a Christian. And I'll share this with you. When I was 17 years old, the thing that happened the night before, the night of that I went to the, to the revival meeting and God changed my life, the day of it, no, it was the day before, rather, because we, we were on the player's bus going to a game. And, and got on the player's bus, and my old buddy, Keith Flowers, is there. He's a, he's a preacher now. When you know, God fixed him for harassing me. But he done me more good when I was 17. He was, he's a month older. We played together. Our moms and uh, we're always together. We just grew up together, man. I love that man. I love him. But boy, he could make me so mad then. I put a knot on his head one time. We got in a fight a few times. He's on that player's bus, and he was carousing, messing up like he always was. Always, His daddy taught me every cuss word I ever know. That's where I got my, hey, and I love that man too. Old Keith on that bus said, if you're a Christian, won't you stand up? He was lost as a goose. I mean, he was lost. He was so far from God. And I got up and said, well, 
I said this exact words. I never will forget them. I said, flyers, I may not act like it, but I am a Christian. You know what he said? I've told you all this before. How many knows what he told me? He said, pull, sit down, you're going to hell with the rest of us. <laughs> he done me more good than the preacher did. Told me the absolute truth. He said, pull, you look like you're going to hell. And that, uh, th that week, I got right with God. And I did not plan on getting right with God. I had no intention to get right with God. I had one intention. to I made a deal with my sister who loved God and still loves the Lord. She said, I want you to come. to See, Dad would let us escape the revival meetings at that point in my life, 17 years old. I'm getting away. I'm, I'm, really, I'm far away. She, we made a deal. I said, here's the deal. I'll go with you. She was packing pews. I'll go with you. But you'll quit standing up in church on Sunday morning and crying and asking them people to pray for your brother Randy. Because in our house, you had to go on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And I'd have to endure that persecution. How messed up was I, right? I was messed up. And that's what the devil make you look at. Right is wrong and wrong is right when you're following him. So we made the deal. And praise God, she didn't have to do it no more because that night I got right with God. I ain't perfect, never have been perfect, but my life totally took a turnaround from everything that you are involved in that was available at the time to walk away from it and to live for Jesus. Lord, help us. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Our testimony, our walk is so important. He said it's the salt. He talked about seasoning our life, our testimony with salt. He said with grace, with salt. And this will be our last thing. No one likes a legalistic, pharisaical witness where somebody acts like they're better than us. I remember when I was a kid, we had a group of girls, we called them the God Squad. We knew how they lived on Saturday night, and we saw how they sung on Sunday night. The God Squad. Lord, forgive me. Take that off the... I got... And they're friends of mine. Lord, take that off the thing today. Don't show that. Gosh, I'm embarrassed. I want that cut off. I'm serious. I got friends that watch this. Shame on me. We called them the God Squad. I just went to one of the girls' why, why am I saying that? I do want that cut off right now. Grace. When you reach out to someone that's lost, don't condemn them. They're already condemned. Unless they're high-minded and full of pride. You know, but the normal person. Look at them with grace. Speech with grace seasoned with salt. With truth. With truth. And Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5, and this is it. Ye are the salt of the earth. 
If the salt has lost its savor, where will the earth be salted? If the salt has no flavor to it, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trotted under the feet of men. Let me tell you my insight. I see that Christianity is in rough shape right now. In our world that we're in. In our country, Christianity is in tough shape. And there will probably be a rebound. And it may already start. There will be a rebound. There's always a remnant. Why is it on the downward spiral? Because the salt is not doing its job. We're going to church where we can worship. Where we can feel good. Instead of going to the world with the gospel of Christ. Our weapons of our warfare. Our walk in the war. Our prayer life. Our testimony and witness. Let's bow our heads. quietly stand to our feet if you would if you need to come to the altar I invite you to come that prayer life thing is important it's a sin for us not to pray so our pianist begins to play for us but you need to come to the altar today for baptism or some other reason you come whatever your need is say preacher my life's a mess well, how, how's your prayer life you've been neglecting that I feel like I'm in turmoil is it, is it your prayer <coughs> have you not been praying that could be it it could be the devil wants you not to pray sing that out now. God bless you that have come. need to come. all you being here.
Let's all uh, have our ushers come. And, uh,